Uh, today we are welcoming a member of our faculty who I don't think has presented here before. Dr. Friedman is uh, a member of our section of pediatric endocrinology practicing in Manchester, also uh, general pediatrics, actually. So Dr. Friedman is a na native of Wisconsin who um, attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison for undergraduate bachelor in pharmacology and toxicology, medical school at Rose University School of Medicine, and internship and pediatric residency at Atlantic Health System in Morristown, New Jersey, prior to Dr. Joanne Conroy's tenure in Morristown. A pediatric Endocrinology Fellowship uh, she completed at Bay State Medical Center and Tufts University School of Medicine uh, and joined us essentially right out of fellowship at, at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and Chad in Manchester. As a reminder, our, our mini-fellowship series is um, updates in important and uh, core concepts in pediatrics that will allow our specialists and our generalists to collaborate more effectively for patients, transition that care more seamlessly as we're doing the, the state of the art. And Emily is really quite uh, perfect for that role and that, uh, like myself a little bit actually, practices both the specialty of pediatric endocrinology and continues to maintain a general pediatrics practice and knows what it's like to be on both sides uh, of that um, of that fence. So she is going to talk about as core as it gets to pediatrics for all of us, something that I think sometimes we forget, but growth and development as, as really the underpinning of pediatrics. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, OK. I have a loud voice, so, but they told me I had to use this anyway, so. Because our friends. Yeah, the friends over there, that's right. Hi, guys. Um, all right, so thanks for having me. So, like, um, this is the last topic of the PD endocrine series, and of course, it's, I think, the most important topic, of course, right? So, um, today I'm going to just touch upon a little bit about growth. It's going to be pretty basic. Um, I'll, uh, just basically, oh, we'll talk about it. So I have no conflict of interest, and I will, however, be discussing one medication later in the talk that we use off-label, okay? Um, I thought this was a fun picture. Um, you know, just the irony of very tall and very little. Um, so today I will just touch upon normal growth, um, looking just so we can review a little bit what we're supposed to do with growth, causes of short stature, or um, what... And then when we should be concerned, abnormal growth. And most important, when we should refer to us, when we should get that PD endocrinologist involved or do an e-consult or something like that to get us looking at the growth, um, the growth charts. And to touch upon some of those, I'll review some cases that, that, we, that we see. Um, all right, so like we, know, like we know, growth is the fundamental physiologic process that characterizes childhood, right? Why do they go to the pediatrician? To see how they're growing, right? Plot them on the growth curve. How are they doing? What do they look like? You know, every time you come home, what did he, where, did, where is he on the growth curve? What's the percentile? So growth is super important. Um, and growth patterns can indicate child's health and how they're doing. So um, we always look at, you know, for me, for this talk, we're going to look at the height and the growth velocity. So those are when those two variables are off, thus can be a little worrisome. So normal growth results from a complex interaction among many different things, including genetics, nutrition, and hormonal factors. Some of those hormonal factors listed here, growth hormone, thyroid hormone, sex steroid 
hormones, glucocorticoids, and then we have the psychosocial also that can play a part of that. Um, and it wouldn't be an endocrinology, an endocrinology talk without the, this, you know, hypo, hypothalamic pituitary um, um, picture. So as you can see, it's very basic. We got the hypothalamic um, that then talks the pituitary that secretes the growth hormone, the liver, and then are, and you see the effects onto the, the, the bone and other tissues of the growth hormone. Um, growth hormone is, Stimulated by um, the GHRH and as as the feedback mechanism is by the somatostatin. Um, we don't normally measure growth hormone um, levels per se because they go up and down. So this this depicts how they are in like a pulsatile manner all day long, and so we can't really measure a growth hormone because we could be getting it down at the lower end. Um, and it wouldn't really be getting a reflection of the person's growth hormone. The highlighted area is the sleep. So as you can see, it's the highest in the sleep. And so I always tell my patients, get good sleep. Your growth hormone's doing its job then. So that's important. That's an important part to look at. Um, all right. So normal growth. Couple. This is going to have a couple different slides that just demonstrate different parts of growth and the areas of growth. So intrauterine growth is very important. So when they're inside. Um, their, you know, the environment that's going on with the mom, um, then at that time, insulin, insulin-like growth factors and their binding, um, binding proteins play the most important role during that time. Growth hormone and thyroid hormone actually aren't quite important during that intrauterine time. Then we have the prepubertal growth. So that's from, you know, to, to puberty. So genetic and environmental factors remain important there. And that's when we're going to start to see growth hormone and thyroid hormone become major factors. So usually children find their curve um, somewhere between two and three. They usually stay on that curve until puberty. And they can increase or decrease across those percentiles based if they have puberty early or late. But they should stay pretty, on the, pretty much on their percentile. I really like this this graph, this picture here, and it actually gives me a good idea of growth velocity during these important times. So um, here, if I can use this, is the fetal development. So that's the intrauterine growth. And that makes up about 30% of the adult height. And then you have the infantile. So infantile is like right kind of between zero and two. And as you can see, the growth velocity is quite high there. So they're growing rapidly during that. And as we know, as pediatricians, they're growing fast, um, at least the first six months of life. So their growth velocity is quite high, and it comes on down as we hit into the childhood. Childhood is where we talk about that kind of, you know, um, pre-pubertal, so before they start puberty, and it comes on down and kind of sits right in this eight to four kind of picture. And I always think in my mind four as my growth, four centimeters a year is my um, kind of standard. If, as long as they're above that, I feel pretty good. So. Um, childhood is that growth hormone, thyroid hormone, obviously genes, environment, and then puberty, which is I'll touch upon a little bit more closer, is right here, and that's as you see they, they once again have a have an increase in their growth velocity, and that's mostly because of the the pubertal hormones like the testosterone and the estrogen. 
All right. So most important is how do we um, assess their shorts? Their, I guess I shouldn't have written short stature, but their stature. So accurate height and measurement is like the biggest thing, right? So measuring them appropriately. And I know that sounds pretty basic, but it's quite difficult. So not every place has the right equipment or does it the right way. So, so sometimes we'll see patients and they'll just, it really would just be that it was an inaccurate height. And when we measure them, they look great. So I'm going to show a picture about how we do it. Um, <laughs> and I actually have a newborn at home and my pediatrician measures it on a table, measuring it with a little thing. So I know, I hear you. It's like that everywhere, okay? But it's important just to remind ourselves that we should do it the right way. Um, calculating the growth velocity, which I'll um, show you how you can find that on our EPIC system. Um, and then obviously comparing them to the population, putting them on the curve, um, comparing them among their family, genetic potential, right? Poodles make poodles. Dobermans make Dobermans. They don't really, you know, they're going to stick to their, their, their family. Um, you're always going to have that one family that tells me, but I have it, and it can happen, but usually you, you really are close to your genetic potential. Um, some other things, assessing body proportions, obviously puberty, and then the bone age. So here is just a quick little little gram, diagram that shows you, you know, you want them for the, we use the stadiometer where we are down in Manchester. And so, you know, it gives us a really, really accurate number. Um, it clicks as you move it. I know that some pediatric offices, I mean, my pediatric office doesn't have that. The endocrine office has that. Pediatric office, you know, you have to kind of, kind of figure out what is it really saying. But most important is to have them really be sitting nice and straight up, back. You know, the person's at eye level when they go do it. Sometimes you need to help I don't have a picture here, but you need to get someone else to help you put their feet down so that you, you can do two people, make sure that they're, they're sitting nice and straight. Um, some people do a stretch length, um, you know, taking a deep breath and those kind of things. But for you guys, I think this is just making sure that we get a good height. And for the babies, I, like I said, my pediatrician does it with two lines and on their, on the, um, the crinkle paper, right? So how accurate really is that? This is the most accurate way to do it. Um, and I think most offices have this, but you probably need two people to do the baby, you know, holding their feet, getting their head, making sure that they're sitting flat. And it's hard because they want to, you know, move, have their legs um, bent. So just making sure you do this. And you're going to do this up till two, right? Even if they're standing, you really should be lying them down, okay? Um, quick, I mean, I don't expect you guys, uh, pediatrician office, to be measuring body proportions, but you know, we will sometimes do that. Um, we will measure the lower and upper segment based on concerns we have. Um, so you know, you take the lower segment is usually the pubic symphysis to the ground. So you take the total height minus that to get the upper segment. And you're looking at some kind of ratio upper segment to lower segment. And at birth it's 1.7, but it can go down to one as they get older. And just, you know, if it's greater than one or less than one, these are things you might want to worry about. So you want it to be around one. I didn't mention in here, but we do arm span also. So you you know have to do their arm span from here to here. Um, usually we, that's more for when we are worried about you know Marfans or something like that. Okay, so we all see these remember these growth curves, and I say remember because we don't have the paper charts anymore. So it's sometimes it's a little difficult, but. So this is actually the one that we use in Epic. This is the CDC one, so the boys and the girls. Um, and I always like to point out, and it will help you later to, um, if I can actually point it here. So you can't really see well, but if you remember the girls curve, 60 
60 inches is the bottom end where the boys is 65, right? So you got to, I mean, I, I, that's going to come into play when we talk about mid parental height, right? The five that we're looking at to, to, subtracting. But um, as you can, you do, it's, it's really important to remind yourself that the bottom end of the girls is five feet. <laughs> well, the girl, boys is five, five, okay? So mid parental height, and, and you don't actually have to calculate it if there's a thing in Epic, it says parental height, you stick it right in there and it will come on there for you. But just to remember that the girls, you take the dads minus five plus moms divided by two, and a mom add the five for the boy, subtract, add dad and divide by two. You should get about where they should be, okay? They're not gonna fall exactly, but as long as they're within you know, a reasonable, uh, I'll explain that later, then it, it's pretty good. Um, I had shown you growth velocities before in a chart, and I'm gonna show you again, but these are just high numbers that you should think about. So zero to two, 18 to 20 centimeters a year, it's pretty good. Uh, where we want them to be, ages one to two, eight to 10, as you see, it's coming down. So from four to puberty, four or five centimeters a year is kind of good. Anything lower than that, that's when I start to worry. So I made it really, really important in, in, in um, yellow to show you that if it's less than four centimeters a year, one time, great, bring them back, check it again, give it four months or so. If it's still less than four centimeters, that's when we start needing to worry. Um, you don't actually have to calculate it yourself. If you go into, I don't actually, if you go into the epic chart and you go down and there's this thing that says growth velocity, just click that and it will show you a pretty picture. It's going to show you something like this. So this is the girl's version of it and it will show you, um, it will show you just kind of the black line obviously is what they should be, okay, um, the normal. Red, I can't, you can't really, didn't actually show as great as I wanted it to. The red is, is early puberty and the green is late puberty, okay. And the boys have the same thing. So you can see that the girls have that um, increased growth velocity right you know, between 11 and 13. Um, and the boys are going to have it at the much later, a little bit later, 13 to 15. So I don't know if you've ever saw this on that you can do this on the Epic, but it's really important. I obviously do it every time, and I also calculate it myself. But this gives you a good idea. So if they're sitting somewhere down here, that's not where we want them to be. So I'm happy if they're on this curve. Obviously, if they're young and they're on up here, they shouldn't be up there at that time. But if they're up here, that's totally fine, right? During this time of year, uh, this time, it, this is totally fine. So this just gives you a rough estimate of when we should be worried. Um, so physical exam is important, right? So um, we talked about body proportions. That's helping us determine if there's a skeletal dysplasia, um, dwarfism, um, so dysmorphic features, I mean, genetic disorders, so, you know, um, obviously Turner's is a big one for us, Noonan's, um, Russell Silver, anything that looks different, genetic disorders, that's, that's what we're looking for. Looking at their eyes, their neck, thyroid obviously is important to us, web neck is just supposed to talk about, you know, Turner's, um, skin malformations, um, that also, you know, cafe au lait's, um, we talk about for early, early puberty, we always look at that for, um, so that's important, just looking at the skin, and pubertal staging. I know Nancy talked a lot about pubertal staging, so I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna briefly kind of, kind of go through this, okay? But I, she also showed this nice little curve, so talking about puberty and when the growth velocity kind of goes and coincides with that. Um, so it also is gonna prompt us to talk about where they are in puberty and when they should be grow, having, 
their growth velocity and when you should refer, the, refer them to us, okay? So obviously the height and growth velocity for girls, somewhere between, as you can see, it's not always the case, but three to four for breast development. And I find this quite difficult even as an endocrinologist, so I usually mostly look at the breast development um, as I'm evaluating. Obviously I document, but this is where I'm really getting an idea of where they are growing. Um, and then, as you can see, and I wanted to mention, especially for the girls, menarche, right? So they're, if they've had their period, they're on that downswing. They should be slowing down to grow. So if they're, you know, 13 and they've had their period and their growth velocity is slowing, that's why, right? So they're not going to grow much more after they have their period. And if I go back to this curve, you can see that also here, right? It's a dramatic downswing for them, okay? Boys, just to highlight again, um, they're growing a little bit later. As you can see, this age is different. So, you know, um, and, and this is somewhat associated with the size of their testicles. Um, they're growing a little bit after their, their, their max is somewhere here. And also they're growing, they start to slow down also. All right, to remind ourselves just about puberty, first signs is breast development, girls around 10 and a half, and just to iterate, max growth velocity around 10 or three breasts, that could be somewhere between 11, 12, and they're gonna peak is about eight to 10 centimeters a year, so that's pretty good. Males, testicular enlargement, somewhere which a little bit later, 11 and a half, and then they're gonna grow max velocity somewhere around their testicular size, about eight. Average is a little you know, later than girls at 13, and their, pike, their peak height velocity might be a little bit higher, 10 to 12, okay? So obviously, growth ceases after they have puberty. So that's going to dramatically change. And I won't. I feel like you always have to put in a tanner staging, and I know Nancy reviewed it. So quickly, this is, you know, stage one to four for, for girls and boys. Um, testicular um, volume, obviously, is... is you gotta sometimes look at the, the, the balls that we have to, to, oh, I can call them balls, but to make sure that what size they are. Um, all right, so of course, I wouldn't do a talk without growth charts. So this is a growth chart that depicts precocious puberty. So as you can see here, that's a really fast rise, right? They're tall to begin with, so we're happy, we're not worried per, per se, but that was a really fast, fast growing growth velocity and most likely this kid will will end up you know we've always thought that they'll reach potential their their tiger height which is somewhere over there but potentially they might not they might not if they've grown really fast early like they're like they weren't supposed to um so the next one actually shows me that see that's what the same thing this kid did grew grew really really fast and it's very subtle right so you saw them this year you saw them this year and then whoa wham they're there Right? It looked like they missed a year in between. But that, that's pretty, and then drastic, but you think nothing of it, but then boom, they stopped growing. So most likely they've, they went through puberty and they're done growing. So they had, this was the girl that had their, her period at 11. I can't go, all right, so this is another just version. I don't know if you've ever seen our growth curves or you see a patient that we've seen. Sometimes we put bone ages on there. This is just a depiction of a bone age. So that's showing that this person, you know, as you can see, they're growing pretty rapidly here. Every year they've come and boom, they've, that seems totally different. It's subtle here, but it's pretty dramatic there. And when you get the bone age, 
it's really advanced. So, you know, as we thought this kid was going to be above, or at least on the upper end of the growth curve, it ends up their, their bone age is much advanced, and they're going to be probably falling closer to the, the bottom end of the curve. So if you see a growth curve that we've seen, we, you can actually add bone age onto the, the flow sheet, and you also can get this picture too. So I, you also remind families, which I think is the, obviously the hardest part, and it's part to educate them, is that means that they're not really here anymore, right? They're here, okay? So we have to remind ourselves that they're, they're, we have to keep kind of just showing them that their growth is now, you know, yes, they're, they're at the top end of their, their age right now, but as they're going to get older, they're going to pretty much get to the end of the growth curve. So screening labs that you could do um, if you see a kid that's growing pretty fast, um, that I was obviously showing you more pubertal fast puberty, and I'm going to talk about slow puberty in a second or slowing, but um, some some screening labs that we'd want you to do. Um, I'm going to go pretty quick through these. So things like IGF-1 and IGF-BP3. So we can't measure growth hormone like I talked about before, so that kind of just gives us a slight idea of how your growth hormone is doing and grabbing those that are important. Um, thyroid, karyotype for a girl, you know, just the basic CBC, SR for inflammatory, seeing if there's a chronic disease or a chronic inflammatory process going on. Your analysis looking for um, any kidney disease. Obviously, celiac profile, right, in case we're worried about their growth in height, and in, in, um, sorry, in weight, and then bone age. So bone age is... Uh, we always say get a bone age, right? Don't we always say that? You get an e-consult for me, and I say, oh, get a bone age, get a bone age. So what does that really mean? So I'm looking at the age of their bones, and so I'm comparing it. This is typical. So the typical, um, the most common used method to do a bone age is when you take that single x-ray. So it's really this is the one of the kid, right? This is the patient, and this is the one that we're comparing it to. And so we compare it to a bone standard. There's a book called Grulich and Pyle, and most people follow that. I know other people follow a different, um, a different method called Tanner and um, Tanner Whitehouse, which is a little bit more complicated. But um, most people are following the bone age, the Grulich and Pyle. So what we're doing is we're comparing it to a standard. We're getting about the right age, right? So most endocrinologists will want to measure, look at them themselves. Um, so bringing the CD for us is most important because we'll want to review it ourselves. I can tell you how many I get and someone else does it and they're a little bit off. So we're a little bit off, but, but it's important that we always review our own. So but getting a bone age can at least give you a somewhat of idea. Is it, are they close to their chronologic age? Is it a little bit off? So but when, in, when in doubt, have us read it and we'll, we'll let you know what we think. So growth failure and short stature. So when should we be worried? So I showed you what we should be worried for um, for precocious puberty if they're growing too fast. You're seeing them on the growth curve and they're growing too fast. Short stature, meaning if they're small. And how small is too small, right? So if they're really small, they're off the growth curve, less than two standard deviations below the mean for the age and the gender, that's when we need to see them. That's when we get worried. Now, if they're declining in their growth, so that four centimeters a year growth velocity and they're doing three and they're doing two and they've been at that low growth velocity, that's when we need to see them too. Crossing percentiles, right? Um, and then the other question is, well, what if they're short for their, their, their family... They're, they're short for family, so that's another reason we need to be worried. So the, their predicted height or the family height is at the 75th percentile, and they're right now at the 5th percentile. 
So that would be off, right? So if they're less than or more than three inches from mid-parental, I said more than three inches from mid-parental height, that's when we need to see them too. And they could be growing fine on growth velocity with that patient, right? So they're growing great, everything else looks good, but they're really small for their family. So we want to see them, see if there's something else we can do to help them. So short stature, normal variant is familiar short stature, so they're small because their whole family's small. Constitutional delay, as I'm sure the late bloomers that we all hear about. Uh, my, my dad was a late bloomer, my mom was a late bloomer. Those are the, the late bloomers. Pathological, so nutritional, is um, not us, by the way. Um, so, but that's when they're not taking it enough, or they have not, they're not absorbing correctly, so that's celiac. That's things that we worry about that we can't really, really help with unless they start to, to see GI also. Endocrine causes, which I'll break up in a second. Chromosomes, um, you know, like um, Turner syndrome is a big one, as we know. Um, so also ones that we should be worried about low for birth weight, so Russell Silver, Cornelia Delang, IUGR, SGA. Those are things that we should be thinking about. Bone development, effects in bone development, metabolic, chronic disease. These are, um, and then chronic steroid intake, you know, so it's medically induced that you're, you know, iatrogenic, that you're, you're small. Uh, usually we think about more like steroids for asthma and those things um, being one of those, those typical reasons down there. Endocrine causes. So um, our bread and butter, growth hormone deficiency, hypothyroidism, hy hypopit, glucocorticoid excess, or Cushing's, and precocious puberty. Um, other ones, just to break up quickly, so malabsorption, oh, so celiac, inflammatory bowel, hypoxia, you know, got pulmonary, cardiac, so these are reasons they could be small, reasons they could be short, if their chronic disease is not helping them maintain a good um, growth. Inflammatory and radiation, obviously, if they've had a tumor and had have radiation, especially in the CNS or in the spine, that could be potentially harming their growth and causing them to be short. Quickly here, this is a celiac, as you can see. How would you know this is celiac, right, without me telling you that's a celiac? Because this looks like any other curve. But this kid had celiac, and as they, they, were, they were slowing here, they didn't gain as much weight, and they slowed here, as you can see. That's pretty subtle, but, but significant. Um, this kid had IBD, so as you can see here, their weight was really affected here, and that affected growth. So... Um, I guess this is a good time to kind of discuss what comes first, what should we worry about. Uh, if your growth, if your weight is slowing off first and then height, probably related, if your height's probably related to your, 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 your weight, right? So if, you're, if you didn't gain as much weight and then the height starts to fall, potentially it's more related to, to weight. If you see, well, this is not the case in this patient, but if your height starts to slow and then wait, maybe it's more related to something else. This is brief. Um, so obviously, as a pediatrician, you guys see kids that sometimes in environments that they aren't the best environments, and it can really harm the kid, so in their growth too. So just things to think about, you know, um, I see a lot of kids that come out of either foster, you know, out of their home into foster families, and they're finally getting the attention that they need from them, and they grow right after that. So it's not always, it's not always hormonal, it's not always something wrong, it could just be their environment, so something to think about. Um, small for gestation early, so we see this quite a bit, right? So the, the, the preemies or the newborns that are less than two standard, uh, more than two standard deviations below the mean, so really off the charts, way below. Um, 
Some of them, most of them will make it back up to the curve, about 90% do, but 10% won't. And so when they don't make it back up to the curve, that's when we should see them, right? So their height is less than two standard, or greater than two standard deviations below the mean, or even their growth rate is pretty, pretty is still is low, or their growth velocity is where we want them to be, then we should see them and we can help them. Because um, growth hormone is, I'll talk briefly about other indications, but growth hormone is, in, is indicated for kids with um, SGA. But they, we have to wait till they're two or even older to see if they're back up to the growth curve. And they're picky about that, so we gotta make sure. Familiar short stature. So that's the kid that they've been growing consistently on their growth pattern at the low end of the height curve, you know, consistently. Parents are short, mid-parental height is at the bottom end. Um, growth pattern, bone age, puberty, all appropriate for chronologic age, all look good, and they're just small. Um, and that is probably one of the hardest patients to see because there's nothing we can do really for them because they look as like they're supposed to with their families. So typical kid right here, growing, growing, all along there, see, consistently. They fell a little bit here, but that's okay. They're in puberty, and they fit right where their family should be. So that's a typical kid that has familiar short stature. Um, all right, so I felt like, well, now we should... Some, some of these cases are going to go just a little bit more in depth of uh, the typical things that we might see. So um, I'm not really going to ask that you can yell out what you think it is, but hopefully we can. Um, I didn't give candy like Francis had. So, okay. Um, so this is a 14-year-old male with recent history of falling off percentiles. Mom, and, mom is 5'5", dad is 6'1", so target height is, you know, 5'11", so, you know, up at, the bottom, up at the top end of the curve. Bone age, you did a bone age, which was great. Two standard deviations greater um, than, than his chronologic age. You examined him, he's 10 or 1. Oh, and by the way, there's a history of a late bloomer. So this is a typical, you know, picture of someone who has um, constitutional delay of growth in puberty. Um, and I think you figured that out, right? So family history, late onset of um, puberty with slowing growth, um, and slowed growth until the adolescence. Um, normal growth rate with a delayed bone age um, and delayed puberty. Predicted height eventually with their delayed bone age will get them in the height for their family. They just have to wait, they just have to wait. And I know it's hard for kids who have delayed puberty because they want to be like their friends and they want to grow, 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 but we want them just to wait it out and they will eventually reach their potential height for their family. And you just got to be strong and remind them of that. Um, and obviously there's no evidence of other disease that we've checked to make sure. Here's just, um, an old, old curve. I have a couple in here. This is, um, you, oh, you can't even tell. Okay, so the open one, the open one, and I'm going to use this, that is a kid with constitutional delay. Growing, 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 kind of slowing, and then reaches their potential height eventually. This is more of a kid who has a pathologic reason, right? They, they, they fall right there, and they never really end up making their potential or their top end of their curve. And then you can't really tell quite here, but this, is, this one is supposed to be familial all the way along that. So they're small, small, small all the way. So this gives you a really good depiction of all three of them right there. Familial, constitutional delay, and a pathologic reason. So... And, you know, um, you, you know, you want to compare or look at the comparison, try to see the difference between familiar short stature and constitutional delay. And the main things here, right, so they're, they're, the length of their, um, it, their, when they were born, their, their length was 
pretty much normal for both of them. Um, their um, height velocities were also normal, but so the, the key things here are kind of at the bottom end here. So the delayed puberty, chronologic age, um, I guess, I guess I don't want to say greater than bone age. Uh, yeah, sorry, I do. <laughs> Confusing myself this morning, right? Chronologic age greater than. So you're looking at someone who's has a bone age of of 10 and they're 13, right? So that means you have three potentially three more. They're three years behind and they'll catch up. Where a kid with familiar short stature, you do it. It's going to be about the same. You know, they'll read it maybe one standard deviation, but <coughs> when it's greater than two standard deviations, that's when we know it's really delayed. Um, so final height is going to be short but normal for family where final height, they're going to reach their genetic, it's going to be, they're going to be at their mid-parental height eventually. It's just going to take a little bit longer for them. And up here, just to remind ourselves, is we see it mostly in boys. Um, familial can be most in girls. And, and to be honest, we get most referrals are for boys than girls because boys really worry about their height more than girls do. Or that's not actually true. We worry about it later for girls, and we're a little too late for girls. So, um, case two is a girl. So we have an eight-year-old female. She's very short, below her curve. She was growing great until maybe around four or five, and we started to notice that she was not growing as great. Family predicted height is well at the 50th percentile. She has a heart defect. She has some trouble in school with math. Um, but she doesn't look like this, because this you guys would never miss, right? So she's the subtle girl that has turners, okay? So subtle, subtle, subtle. And I was always taught, I mean, these are the characteristics, but you don't always see these. So short stature obviously is on the top end here for me. So number one reason a girl comes to you, I always get a karyotype for them, um, even without any other thing that I feel that, that puts them towards turners, I always get one. And you'd be surprised how many kids that come back positive for turners. So, um, but just that's, so this is other things we should look at, stigmata of turners, but you know, not everyone's going to have that. This is just a, depicting a turner's curve or a girl on, that has turners on a regular curve. So this is our curve and this is her. So she's, you know, up until here, she really looked fine and then started to really fall, okay? So so you're not gonna know, when you say short stature for girls, it might not be until much later. Also a girl that you worry about that's really far from family. So their family, you, you did a prediction for their family height and they're right up here at the 90th percentile and she's at the fifth percentile. That might be someone you really wanna watch a little bit closer as they, you know, as younger and then as they go through puberty, just to make sure we're not missing anything. This is actually a picture you can, obviously, you know, on Epic, you can change it to Turner's and you can see them growing on their own curve. So that same kid doesn't actually look so bad on the Turner's curve, right? She looks pretty good. So that's good. And also to remind ourselves that girls with Turner's, FDA approve, FDA, there's an FDA approval for growth hormones, so we want to get them on growth hormone as soon as we can, because they'll, they could potentially get up to the top, or at least the bottom end of the normal curve, and so the earlier the better for them. We want to, we want to see them when we want to start. Case three, <laughs> it's a 10-year-old female, another female, with recent history of slowed growth. Um, no growth in the past two years. So that's pretty dramatic. But maybe they didn't come to you for two years. Maybe you lost them to follow up and they're back because they need a school physical, right? A, a sports physical. Um, and you realize, oh, they haven't grown in two years. Um, maybe they have some constipation. Maybe there is a family history of thyroid. And of course, you see this big thyroid on your exam. Like I said, it's not going to be that obvious. But I mean, it, it could be. So 
that's a kid with primary hypothyroidism. So as we know, you're going to do labs, TSH is high, a low T4. Um, so could be congenital, but as we know, the newborn screen really should flag those kids, so we shouldn't be seeing kids later. But it can happen. They can, you know, come from other countries. It can happen. So even if you're, even if they were born here, um, you had a normal newborn screen, still screen them for a thyroid disease just to make sure it's an easy thing that we can, that we can do. Uh, and then obviously, as they get older, acquired hypothyroidism. Most commonly, this is going to be autoimmune. Um, you know, Hashimoto's. Um, you might see excessive weight gain and slowed growth um, before before treatment, and then it, um, the, after treatment, obviously they're going to grow. Um, but I would say the weight gain is really not something I see quite a bit because everyone's gaining weight, right? So you'd have to have a pretty significant TSH, pretty high for it to be affected. It would be the weight problem, okay? So really looking at their growth is most important. And I think Frances mentioned in her thyroid talk is that, you know, sometimes even on thyroid hormone treatment, they might not make it back up to their target height prediction. So earlier the better to treat these kids. And I love these charts. I know you guys can't see these great, but I think it's really good to get a, like all of them on the same curve to kind of get an idea of what they look like. And it shows me also be another way for me to kind of show you other things together. So this yellow is a kid who has hypothyroidism, so really drastic stop. And look at they they um, gained their height back once they started um, thyroid treatment. Um, the red is someone who has growth hormone deficiency, really really far below. Oh, the, sorry, not red. Um, that's blue. And then red would be glucocorticoids, you know, excess. I don't really touch upon that as in a case, so I'll talk about it here. A kid who has glucocorticoid excess, so on steroids or Cushing's, they're going to grow and they're going to be gaining weight pretty okay. Their growth is really going to slow down and stop. So if a kid who's growing normally in height and weight, not not likely Cushing's. Okay, no, we have a ton of kids that come to us. Oh, they're overbeat. They're fat, they're really gaining a lot of weight. They have to have Cushing's. If they're growing great, like I talked about on my first slide, growth is like the number one predictor. If their growth is good and they're along their percentile and they're doing good, not likely to be a concern. Okay, but we'll see them anyways because why not? <laughs> <laughs> so we can tell them. Sometimes they need us to tell them they're okay. Um, hypothyroid is another just picture, right? So pretty dramatic growth in weight, and then they slowed there. These are actually old slides that I got from my fellowship, and I think they're just really great to see. All right, so number four, um, a 13-year-old male with history of falling off the growth curve. Growth, velocity, growth curve fell from the 50th to the 15th over the past two years, so that's a really dramatic. That's, that's crossing percentiles. Weight is also at the low end of the curve. Their mid-parental height is at the 75th. Their bone age is delayed, though, so that's good. Um, they're not, don't have the, they're on they're 10 or 1 on exam, so they're prepubertal. And we did labs, and they have a low IGF-1 or IGF-BP3. So without that bottom end, right, wouldn't you think maybe this kid maybe had constitutional delay? <coughs> it's very similar to, to a constitutional delay. However, that, that dramatic percentile decrease here would make you try to flag yourself that maybe there's something else going on hormonally. And so you did labs, which is great, and we got a low IGF-1 and IGF-BP3. So we're thinking growth hormone might be something going on with our growth hormone. So um, the next step is going to be growth hormone stimulation testing. That's, um, well, 
that might not be everyone's next step, but that will um, potentially be the next step. So some people might just have you follow them a little bit for four months, six months to see how they're growing. And if they continue to have a low growth velocity, they potentially they'll go on to the growth hormone stimulation test. With this kid, I'm a little bit more worried. He's 13. I might see. I might do growth hormone stimulation tests at an earlier step in the in the, in the process. So this just reminds me, you know, doing labs for the kids like this. In, in growth hormone stimulation testing, which is done up here for us, and then if that's positive, we get an MRI, right? Why do we want to get an MRI? If they're growth hormone deficient, we got to check what's going on in that pituitary. Is it something going on in that pituitary? Um, growth hormone stimulation testing, we, ha we do it up here, and we do... Um, it has to be done with two different agents, just so it's, so it's a test that probably lasts about three to four hours with coming up and everything like that. So... Um, uh, if you talk to older endocrinologists, such as some people in Manchester, they'll tell me that, oh, we don't even need the growth hormone stimulation test. It's not that best test. It's not the greatest test. But unfortunately, we need to do that for insurance purposes to, to, get, in, to get growth hormone. They need to fail stimulation testing. They don't want to give it out for free. Um, here is a kid who has growth hormone deficiency. Um, yes, their weight slowed, but they really slowed here. So that's concerning. We want to make sure that things are good. Um, this is another one, and this one I like to show because this is where we started growth hormone. And look at, they, they're going to reach their potential. They did excellent. That's many, many, many years of growth hormone, but they did really good, and they're going to reach their, their, their genetic potential. Causes of growth hormone deficiency, obviously primary pituitary disease, so something going on in the brain. That's why we do the MRI. Um, and then organic tumors, something, you know, that's going on within there. Secondary would be, I think we talked about previously, you know, radiation or some kind of um, uh, radiation to the brain. And then surgery to take the tumor out, that there was a tumor, and then you happen to, to also um, affect the pituitary there. Um, genetics, so just because one family has it, this one member of the family has it, doesn't mean the, all the members are going to have it. So it's good for us to see them and evaluate them all separately. Um, like It's likely that if, you know, if one of your siblings has growth hormone deficiency, you might need some too, but it's not all clear cut. So we should evaluate them separately by, you know, as a new kid. Um, briefly, growth hormone deficiency, growth hormone therapy is approved for these indications, but that doesn't always mean we get them for these indications, okay? So growth hormone deficiency, Turner's, chronic relithia, prader willi and SGA, and the reason I say we don't always get them is we don't always, it's approved for idiopathic short stature, but we don't always get that approved, correct? We don't always get it, which brings me to my case five, which I'm getting almost done. So a 12-year-old male on the fifth percent of the height and weight, mid-parental mid height is 50th, bone age is concordant to chronologic age, and these are kids we see all the time. They're very sad. They want to be taller. They don't know why they're so small, and I don't either. Um, just kidding. And their labs are all normal. No normal, normal, normal. There's nothing we can do. So this is a kid who's small, fifth percentile, pretty small, you know. Um, so this is idiopathic short stature. We don't know why you're small, but you're small. So if you're less than 2.5 standard deviations from the mean or at the 1 to 3rd percentile, you potentially could apply for growth hormone and try to get it. That's idiopathic short stature means less, um, greater than 2.5 standard deviations oh, from the mean, sorry. So greater than. So you're really low, okay? I go back to the growth curve I could show you. You're, you're practically at the bottom and even below that. So you can get growth hormone. 
um, doesn't always get approved. Um, and it would honestly, you don't always have the great, um, greatest reception from the growth hormone. This is just one study that they looked at who kids um, with idiopathic short stature took growth hormone. And I know 1.5 inches sounds like a lot to get extra, but this is with years and years and years and years of doing growth hormone and four, four centimeters or five, 1.5 inches isn't, isn't the biggest, biggest bump for like 10 years of, of, of growth hormone. So you gotta outweigh which, which is better. Um, and obviously it wouldn't be the end of an endocrinology talk without a steroid picture, right? Okay, anyways. So now this is where I'm gonna talk about off-labels. So with these patients, if we can't get growth hormone, we try to help them with aromatase inhibitor. So aromatase inhibitor, for you know, in a nutshell, it is an inhibitor that inhibits between testosterone and estrogen. And as we know, estrogen is what kind of causes the growth plates to fuse. So if we can slow that progression down, our thought is with their own growth hormone, because we know it's working, we'll give them a little bit more time with their bones to grow, and this will hopefully help them. Um, so the goal is to slow that maturation down. But it's used off-label. It's not something that... Um, is an FDA indication. So I will order this a lot for families and the pharmacist will be like, mm, are you sure they should be on this? Yes, they want them to be on this, okay? Um, just a brief, one of the, one of the, in 2016, they did a study looking at aromatase inhibitors and what's the effect. And obviously alone is not the best effect. We, w we would love to have them with this showing, you know, they got a little effect here of 14 centimeters. Um, growth hormone separately was 17, but together they got almost 19 extra centimeters. So the, the ideal goal would be to get these patients on both growth hormone and uh, aromatase inhibitors, but that doesn't always happen. Um, Take-home messages. See, I told you I was almost done. So uh, most important is to measure and plot them appropriately. Okay, so uh, I know I keep saying it, but it really is, it scares the parents when they come and, and we then measure them and they're perfectly fine. So need to making sure you get do it correctly. And if it doesn't look right, do it again. Um, I find in my primary care practice, a lot of my medical assistants, I will have the, that doesn't look right, go back and do it again. It's really important that we make sure that the medical assistants even, or even us, look at them before. <laughs> And, and do that because the next patient that next person that sees that patient might have an abnormal growth and then it, it, it skews the whole picture. Okay, um, less than uh, 2.5 standard deviations below the mean or greater than two, I keep saying less than, but it's greater than 2.5 standard deviations below the mean. That's when we worry. So if they're really really small off that, do we need to see them? Crossing percentiles decrease growth velocity. So remember that four centimeters a year kind of picture. If you look at that, the growth velocity picture and the epic, and it's really at that bottom end consistently, we need to see them. Even if it's like 4.1, we'll see them, okay? And just It's consistent growth that's really not great. Um, if you don't have that access to be doing, I should have mentioned, if you can't do, you don't have a growth velocity like graph like we have in Epic, you take your last plotted point, I didn't write it down, but I can send it out, last plotted point minus the point that you are, divided by the, the months in between, multiply by 12, and that's the centimeters a year, okay? Short for family, less than three inches from the mid to high, or I keep saying, so if you're, if you're, if you're supposed to be in the 75th percentile for family, but you're at the 10th, we need to see you. Um, and I think I sh briefly talked about it, but intervention late in puberty is really unlikely for us to help them with their final height prediction. So, you know, 
it's never too early. Let us watch for them. Let us watch them, you know, see them periodically instead of you if you're worried. Uh, the worst part is when they come and they're already done growing and their bones are fused and we really can't offer them any support. So um, the earlier the better. And if you're worried, e-consult me because I do the e-consult with Dr. Clemens, okay? So uh, it's never hard looking at a growth curve. I love doing it. So if you ever ever just need, hey, what do you think about this? Just let me know and we'll, we'll take a look. So, questions? I did. I would reinforce that in that now, um, as I see small little pictures on the screen of our friends, probably in Manchester, Nashua, Concord, even key now is all on EDH. So with the e-consult, really easy. you can see the growth chart, the exact same growth chart as the, as the general pediatrician can. You can sort of, as you say, watch that growth together. Yeah, you absolutely. You don't necessarily need them to come in if you trust the high measurements. Yeah, absolutely. So I just wanted to make sure um, I heard you right. Come on, you work with me. I know. Um, so I thought I heard you say I might have. Um, the growth stops after puberty, but that would happen if it's precocious puberty because if the growth is normal and the child reaches puberty at a normal rate, then they still grow a few inches, but it's a little slower. You're right. They still grow, but they grow very slow. Okay, so their growth velocity is still going to be there, but we're looking at more like we're looking at that three to four centimeters, unlike that ten or twelve that they're doing through puberty. Okay, um, we so so yeah, they when they once they get their girls are easy, right? When they get their period, we can kind of have an idea of how much more growth they're going to have. We I usually say one to two inches. I don't know what the other the other endocrinologists say, but could be about that. So they're 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 still going to grow, but they're just not going to. I think. Um, maybe p people have the misconception. They, they think they're going to get the girls are going to get their most growth after menarche, and it's actually they get their most growth before they get their period. So they're 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 booming, they're growing fast, and then they get their period, and that's going to slow down. The boys are obviously different because it's a little different to figure out, but girls is boom. So so um, even breast development, you see, that's why we worry about precocious puberty so much in breast development. Even before they start to see breast development, we might see that increase in their growth that tickers up just a little bit. So we, you know, that estrogen that's around is affecting that, that bone age, so. Oh, come on, Francis. <laughs> okay. I'm like, come on. Yeah, add on to that, Francis. Oh. Um, mine's probably a quick question. Um, you had said for constitutional delay, Part of a maybe workup or just things to think about was to get a bone age, but we see, I'm a general pediatrician, we see constitutional delay all the time. Yeah, right. So, like, you wouldn't recommend that as part of your, like, would you would you recommend that as part of your initial? Yeah, I always get a bone age. Okay. And I think most phrenologists say get a bone age. Um, and it just said anything, it just says yeah, you're right on the right track, you're right, it is delayed, and you're good. If anything, it just tells us that's what it is, yeah. It never, the bone age is a middle minimal radiation. So if parents ask, we do them. I do them. If our kid's on growth hormone or I'm watching them for growth, I'm getting them a yearly, if not every 18 months at least. So, yeah. Hi, that was a great talk. I'm Kathy Shepkin. I'm one of the general pediatricians. So first I want to echo what you and Dr. Loud said about e-consults. Uh, me and my residents have e-consulted you, and it's been fantastic. Oh, good. So thank you very much for that. Well, Frances did a couple while I was gone on maternity leave, so you can thank her, too. <laughs> 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 it was a lot? Okay. But 
I guess I have a similar question and fully biased. As somebody who did, did not meet their mid-parental height by <laughs> three and a half to four inches, how much of a workup do you expect to do for a kid who otherwise is healthy, typically developing, normal, no chronic illnesses? You know, we've been following them all along. Um, how much of a workup would you expect for, for that circumstance? I mean, just the basic stuff that we do, and maybe we do a growth stimulation test. Okay. I mean... If there's, you can, there is, there is an, and that I didn't show it or talk about it, but there's a part in puberty that if you're doing, you'll have this pu pubertal slowing that you slow down a little bit before you hit that pubertal growth velocity. Sometimes they have like growth hormone deficiency during that time, and if we catch it there, we can growth hormone. But you're right, there's not much more we're gonna, we're gonna offer. So if you do all those labs, and they looking good, and the bone age is fine. But if the parents want just another thing, just to ask if there's any new medications or anything we can do, then we should see them. But yeah, that's pretty much what we're going to do. Can you find that slide um, looking at aromatase inhibitors and growth hormone in conjunction with each other? No. <laughs> because... This one, right? That height gain seems really high. Yes. Right? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, think, know, I mean, anecdotally, we treat kids with aromatase inhibitors, and I've never gotten 14 centimeters alone. It's probably dependent on when they started, you know, how early they start. And I think sometimes because we're using it a little bit um, off-label, we're not starting it as early as we, we could. And they're not coming to us as early as they could for us to start it. Because I think if we're using it after they're 13 or 14 with their bone age, I don't think we're going to get as, as much of a, an increase there. But they have to have they have to have testosterone for it to work, right? So they have to be somewhere at their early stages of puberty. That's what this showed. I don't see it either. But this was this 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 slide was to show you that best would be together. So it's not it's not like it's going to be helpful, and we do it we do it. But together would be even the best. But I guess the the the, the reason I mean aromatase inhibitors the only side effect of them that I've seen with kids um, measuring and doing it is that they, their testosterone is going to increase. So they can have more uh, acne, um, behavioral changes. I, I, I see more acne than anything else. I don't see a whole lot of behavioral changes. I had one kid that had hot flashes, which made no sense. You never promised that. <laughs> they, they, they don't typically have the resources, but if it's denied by the insurance company, they can still pay for it out of pocket. So things we watch for and look for are headaches. So the kid could have um, increased intracranial pressure, so they're going to have headaches. They say it's infrequent, but I've seen it twice since I've been here. Um, skiffy, so if they're growing really fast, they're going to, you know, their hips are going to fall, you know, they're going to push out quickly. Um, hey, you know, we say you can get thyroid disease or we always check for thyroid disease right after starting growth hormone deficiency. It can um, somehow manifest or insulin insulin resistance if they're on long-term growth hormone. But to be honest with you, it's fairly safe. I mean, I don't see a whole lot of side effects with it. We measure growth. We, if you're on growth hormone with me, and I'm assuming it's with my other colleagues, we're seeing you every four months. You're not going to get growth. You know, we need to monitor. We need to make sure you're growing okay. You're not going. 
and we're checking your, your growth factors and making sure we're not giving you too much. So you're really in close contact. So every four months we see them until they're on it. And when do we stop it? I think it's dependent on the family. It's going to be dependent on you know where they are you know, where they're growing. If they got what they wanted out of it, you know, kind of you know if they're back up close to their parent their their mid parental height, then we stop it. But usually as the growth plates fuse, growth hormone's not going to be helpful. So we'll start to to stop it as as their growth plates fuse. So that's where we use the growth hormone age a lot. Okay. Good. I don't think I didn't see anyone over there. Are we'll, we'll my Manchester people not there? Okay, that's okay. So we'll let folks get out. Thank you, Dr. Yes, I don't know what I do with this, so I'll just leave.